might sound a little bit strange, but right now I'm taking a lot of comfort in reading about past epidemics in human history to what I'm very sure is the delight of my friends, I have become an, a font of interesting plague and epidemic facts. <laughs> For example, did you know that the reason that Romeo and Juliet, that famous star-crossed couple in Shakespeare's play, the reason that they don't get to live happily ever after is because of a shelter-in-place order. If you read the play carefully, well, uh, you might remember Juliet decides to take a, po a potion that will make her look dead for 48 hours so that she can get away from her disapproving family and run away with Romeo. Father Lawrence, the monk helping her with her scheme, writes a letter explaining the whole thing to Romeo who is in exile. But the messenger who's supposed to take the letter to Romeo stays overnight in an inn where the plague is discovered. And so he's forced to quarantine and the letter gets to Romeo too late. He thinks, he thinks Juliet is really dead, he kills himself, horrible tragedy, etc., etc., all because of shelter in place. Another interesting fact, this might not be news to those of you worshiping with us right now who experienced the polio outbreaks of the early 1950s, but did you know that the tradition of Saturday morning cartoons on television for kids evolved from Saturday morning radio shows for children during polio outbreaks? Shows that were intended to make it easier for kids to stay inside on beautiful Saturdays when they really, really wanted to go out and play with their friends. This last week, the New Yorker Radio Hour played an example of one of these radio shows in which local politicians would come on and verbally describe the comic strips in the Saturday morning newspaper. Just the mayor of your town slowly describing in painful detail a comic strip that you couldn't see. So at least entertainment has gotten better over time. So there you go, a few fun plague facts. And I think what I find so comforting about reading about past epidemics is the reminder that what we're living through has happened before. Not exactly in this way, of course, but it has happened before. This experience is so new to me and to so many of us. All of a sudden, our lives feel unrecognizable. Everything feels unfamiliar and the future feels so incredibly uncertain. And I find it really comforting to be able to put my small story in the context of a bigger story. The story of human beings who have faced this kind of thing before. They've had their lives interrupted. They've had to figure out how to live and to learn and to worship under the threat of disease, and they've done it. The suffering and loss have been great, and the human response has been sometimes wise and sometimes misguided and ultimately successful. My little story, the small tale about how my life has been changed and disrupted, the small story of how my life has become unfamiliar and a little bit scary, that little story makes more sense and feels more hopeful when I place it in the context of the larger story of humanity facing disease. 
because then my little story becomes a part of the larger story. The larger story in which Shakespeare wrote all his greatest tragedies while under quarantine. The larger story in which all those kids who had to stay inside on Saturday morning in towns across the United States eventually received a successful vaccine. Our small stories are so much more hopeful and become so much easier to live when we can put them in the context of a larger story that we know ends joyfully. And the great gift of our faith is that it gives all of us a larger story to be a part of. It gives all of our little stories, the stories of our own joys and sufferings, a bigger meaning. It gives them meaning by integrating them into the larger story of faith. In our reading from Peter's first letter today, we see the writer giving hope to his community by reminding them that they are the part, a part of the larger story of God's work in the world. We don't know exactly what suffering Peter's readers were experiencing. He describes them as living in exile, perhaps because the Roman emperor was hostile to their faith, perhaps because converting to this new religion often meant being ostracized by your family, perhaps disowned, perhaps dis divorced by your spouse. Whatever it was, this community was suffering. And so Peter pushes them to see beyond their own story and to remember the larger story that they're a part of. Beloved, he says, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is taking place among you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you are sharing in Christ's sufferings so that you may also be glad and shout for joy as his glory is revealed. He goes on, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, support, strengthen, and establish you. You see what Peter's doing. He's saying the suffering you're experiencing isn't strange. Christians have experienced it before. In fact, Jesus himself experienced it. This isn't unforeseen. You are a part of the larger story of Jesus who suffered and overcame. Peter helps his community to see that Jesus was also persecuted and ostracized. But that suffering wasn't the end of the story, that it was a part of God's work to transform the world into a kingdom of love and grace. If they can connect their suffering to Jesus' suffering, then they can see that what they're going through has a purpose, that it is part of the larger story of God's transformation of the world through love. When we're confused, when we're overwhelmed and afraid, our world can become very small. It's like we have blinders on. And it can be hard to see beyond what we're experiencing in the moment. Hard to imagine a hopeful future. Our story is the only thing we can feel we're stuck in a sort of eternal and painful present. And so we feel alone. But the small story of what each of us is experiencing right now the disappointment, the grief, the fear. That small story is a part of the larger story. 
the story of a loving God who creates human beings to exist in relationship with God and others. The story of a God who desires to work with us and through us to make the world a better place. The story of a God who works even in the midst of suffering to bring us all into deeper relationship with God and with the world. A pandemic can really mess up our small stories. It can put our lives on hold and endanger our bank accounts and separate us from the people that we love most. But it cannot ever interrupt that larger story. This pandemic could end tomorrow or in 97 years and that larger story of God's love will still be true. And it is through seeing ourselves as part of a larger story that we can find hope and purpose even when our small story seems interrupted. When the ending all of a sudden or even the next chapter seems uncertain. In the days ahead, may we loosen a, our grip a little bit on our smaller story, our plans, our ideas about the, what the next stage of life was going to look like or what we hoped to do. And may we instead hold on more tightly and trust more deeply the larger story in which God is at work even now, even in this moment, to bring us closer and closer to God's heart to make the world more just and more loving, more beautiful. That is a story worth being a part of. Amen.